G'day, guys, and welcome to another episode of the Coach Mark Carroll podcast. I have my first official guest today, and it's a, a friend and someone who's really been a really great ambassador for kind of what Coach Mark Carroll um, is all about. So today we have Roger. So Roger, I'll let you give a little bit of an intro. Um, I guess maybe kind of start with how you kind of, I guess, got to know know me through um, everything and then just a quick kind of intro into kind of your journey and what you've been doing now. So just so you know, guys, this one is on shift working. So shift working is quite an interesting one. It's it, there's many variables, and I know that a lot of you are people who care about your training, but also struggling with the hours of shift working. So Roger is a specialist when it comes to this. So this is why I really think it's an important little podcast, and that's why I want to get someone who really specializes in it. So Roger, tell the audience who you are and your story. Thanks, Mark. I'm truly humbled to be on the podcast, so thank you very much. Um, how did I come across Mark Carroll? Well, I'd been going through a number of different training programs as a result of suffering from um, what is known as ankylosing spondylosis, which is inflammation through the hips. And what I absolutely loved about Mark's program was when I bought it, which was the Gen Pop one, I opened it up and I looked at it and everything was laid out and you could see what you were doing from every stage as you went through. So you had a four-week block of this is the exercise I'll be doing. This is how the nutrition went. So my OCD kicked in and I was able to put it all in spreadsheets. I was able to lay it all out. I was able to see exactly what I was doing and I just worked through it. And as you know, Mark, I got phenomenal results. Now that was about, what would that have been? Three and a half years ago, Gen Pop was launched. Yeah. So three and yeah. Half years ago. And I thoroughly enjoyed the simplicity of Gen Pop purely because I'm a shift worker and I was doing 24-7 shift work and four days was really easy for me to manage as a shift worker in doing that. So that's where I came from. Now, my shift work history, um, I work here in Melbourne in law enforcement and I have been for the um, up to 35 years at that stage. I'm not, not young. I'm into my late 50s now, but I was 50 when I did the Gen Pop program. Um, and when we get to it later on, I'll, I can steer people in the direction of my highlights. And I've talked all about my transformation through Gen Pop and also through the art of reverse dieting with my images, which um, if I can do it at 50 odd, anybody can do it. Like they're really, it's really simple. Now, um, I did 35 years of shift work. I went back and did um, nutrition, studied nutrition after gaining a real passion for it as a result of the Gen Pop Guide and the Art of Reverse Diet. I wanted to learn as much as I could about it. So I went off and did the Mac Nutrition Uni, which you were doing at the time, and I um, asked you about it, followed on from that. So now... I'm now certified as a nutritionist and I combine that with my shift work experience, which next month will be 38 years of shift work. And I now coach shift workers one-to-one in nutrition and health and well-being around 24-7 shift work. Amazing. So I often talk about, you know, transformations and success stories with, I guess, the Coach Mark Carroll business. And I really don't think anyone out there other than outside of Roger has really really, really, really just leveled up in every way. So it all started with my first program. And I often say that, you know, doing something positive for yourself can lead to momentum. And it really, I think, led to momentum for Roger in all aspects that it literally has led to um, basically a career change and going from, I'm guessing, Roger, off the top of my head, you know, you didn't have much of a background in nutrition and training and stuff like that. And he's gone from now being someone who I personally seek out for advice on topics around shift working. So Roger's also done um, the MNU evidence-based nutrition course, a a really famous course. Um, A lot of great nutritionists do that. And what I like about Roger is he also has actual experience in literally what he teaches. So he was a shift worker for 35 years and then went and learned from the best of the best. Um, not saying that's me. Learned from the best of the best through MNU um, on nutrition. So it doesn't get much more cool for me to see people. Obviously, he got a great transformation in his photos, but to literally change careers and really be a person who has all this knowledge in this topic. And and I mean this in 
the utmost respect, Roger, but to be doing it in the, you know, 50s, you know, it's, it shows it's never too late to really um, change change um, many aspects of your life. I, I, I'm i indebted to you because I've followed you for a long time. Obviously, I started off following Lauren very early on and then yourself. Lauren's just takes a back seat now. But um, you've always said invest in education, invest in education, invest in education. And once I learned, once I followed your methods through GenPop and I learned about nutrition through that I gained a fascination for it and the reverse diet in particular really fascinated me and that gave me the hunger for nutrition so I went off so I've picked the best of the best as far as the fitness side of the uh, resistance training goes with the methods then I went and picked the best of the best in relation to evidence-based nutrition with Martin McDonald and MNU I've combined those I've been able to put that together with my just experience in shift work and here I am three years later now literally coaching shift workers and changing their lives because they put too much pressure on themselves around what they think they have to do compared to what they don't have to do. And I've got like five pillars of health that I really concentrate on with shift workers because they are tired, they're stressed. It's really hard. So I focus on those in particular. Yeah. So before we kind of jump into it, I guess my background and originally was training the general population so general population is kind of like roger started out just your you know your everyday kind of lift up person who wants to get in the gym lose some weight often you know your mom your dad your corporate kind of person you know their job is not to try and compete and be a fitness model bodybuilder but they're using the gym like most people to get in better shape and i think roger um sure you're working with very similar kind of people similar goals being a general population but it changes so i guess quite 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 a few variables when it comes to shift working so just so people really just understand exactly what we mean by shift working can you just explain shift working as i know it's as simple but just so the audience in other places around the world understand what exactly we mean by yeah, shift working. Of course, and it's really good because the evidence actually, or the research actually shows that in research they show that shift work is anything that basically starts outside of 7am to 5pm. So if you're starting earlier than that or you're finishing later than that, then you're deemed a shift worker. Just some interesting stats, Marcus. 30% of the Asian population are shift workers now. That's actually 1.4 billion, not million, 1.4 billion shift workers through Asia. Um, I think in the US, there's um, it's 22, 23% of their population is shift workers. And even just here in Australia alone, Two million shift workers in Australia alone working around the clock because we demand around the clock service and action now from where we are living in life. So, you know, generally when we think shift workers, we think police, fire, ambulance or hospitals, nurses and doctors, don't we? But wow, we we cover everything now. You know, we've got dot workers, we've got industrial workers, you know, people that fly your planes when you go uh, pilots and flight attendants and people that check your bags in. All of that, they're, they're all shift workers that are there for you, sacrificing their own health. So I decided that there's no education around any of this from the whole time that I went through my career, there was no education. So I wanted to go and learn as much as I possibly could about evidence-based nutrition, as well as the chrononutrition side of it, which is the meal timing, to make sure that I could help shift workers to optimise it because they are self-damages in a big way, shift workers. So why then does shift working change so many variables for people? Why is it harder? Because I think unless you've probably done shift working for me, yeah, you know, as a PT, I used to, you know, get up early in the morning and train people at 5am and stuff. And sometimes these days, you know, I work till 11, 12 o'clock at night. But my... My understanding would be it's quite different to say, for for instance, yourself when you're in your job where you're working literally nights and then sleep all day and yep. then change to a day the next couple of days. Yep. So does that 
does that large shift, I guess, on the on the scale of level one shift working, kind of kind of what I do yep. versus you know your your kind of level? How much does that kind of impact things? And I guess why massively impacts Mark because what happens is we have what's called a circadian rhythm, which runs on a twenty four hour clock. Now that that is run. It's in the uh, the center of our brain. It runs from the hypothalamus, and that clock ticks over every twenty four hours. Now the female circadian rhythm is just slightly less than 24 hours and the male circadian rhythm is slightly more than 24 hours. Now our circadian rhythm responds to three different stimuli. Obviously one is light so we have a biological daytime and a biological nighttime. The other one is it goes by our food timing by what when we actually put our food in. As you know put normal nine to fivers like yourself you have a breakfast you have a lunch you have a dinner and you have generally like two snacks during the day. The other thing that our circadian rhythm responds to is movement. So there's three different stimuli there. Now, for you, going to bed at 10 or 11 o'clock at night means you're probably what they call a night owl. And you probably, if I set your alarm at 4.30 and said to you, get up at 4.30, Mark, you would struggle. Because I wouldn't be happy. You would not be happy. And the reason why you're not happy is because you're suffering from what's called social jet lag. So you are outside of what your normal circadian rhythm is. Can you change that? Yes, you can. Um, you know, if through repetition, you can change from a morning lark to a night owl. Like for argument's sake, we look at Lauren. Lauren gets up early every morning and she's conditioned to that and she's used to it and she copes with that. She might grumble, but she gets up and does it. There's a lot of people that bounce out of bed at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, off to the gym, have a shower, head off to work, and they're the people that we just think, you're a weirdo. I right? hate those people. That's Lauren. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're a weirdo. What are you doing that for? And then th- that same person is saying to you at at 11 o'clock at night, what are you doing sitting here at this time? Aren't you tired? No, I'm not because your circadian rhythm is triggered to be around that. That's why some shift workers are better off working afternoon shift and some shift workers are better off working morning shift, literally in line with the morning lark and the night owl. Now, when you are a shift worker and you are running outside of what you are normally accepting. Like if I wake, if I set the alarm at 4am and tell Mark Carroll to get up and get out of bed and go and have breakfast, you're going, I can't do this because your system is not ready. So you're ins- very, very insulin resistant. Biologically, your system is actually asleep. So you're forcing things into your system while you're asleep. And this is what happens to our night shift workers, Mark, when people try and force food in overnight because... We're not designed to eat overnight at all in any way. So I guess then my question would be how, how hard is it, is it to adjust to this um, over time? Can you adjust to, for, for example, if I, for me, even when I did PT for years, yep. I just despised getting up in early morning. It yep. never got more comfortable. It never felt good. Um, Lauren gets up, I joke about it because she gets up, by choice at 4, 4 a.m. or something. For me, it, it was just death getting up in the morning. I used to just be like, what is my yep. life? Is this my life getting up this early? It, yep. it never got more comfortable. And no matter what, I always was just wired at night. I wanted, yep. I liked being up at night. Yep. I felt better at night. And no matter what, it never got easier. Is that just, is it, is that something that you can, for people, improve upon and get them adjusted to, to, to some degree? Yes. Absolutely. Because you hate mornings and you're a morning person, if you were to get up every day like the same time as Lauren does and you would be getting tired because your melatonin production would come in at around about, well, commence about six, seven o'clock at night and by nine o'clock, the same time that she's normally ready to go to bed, you would be as well. So through repetition, because like I said before with your circadian rhythm, you're actually conditioning it to go to bed and wake up and then the food that goes in and the time that you exercise, your body's going, oh, because let's face it, Lauren, you know, and we'll use Lauren as an example. She gets up and then she has food 
So she's triggering her circadian rhythm. So she's awake. She's getting light. She triggers the food goes in at a certain time. And then the next thing that actually happens is she exercises. She goes to the gym and she's exercising. So her circadian rhythm is actually recognizing, oh, this is what we do at this time. So when it gets to 7.30, 8 o'clock at night, Lawrence Beach, she's done and she's going to bed and going to sleep. Whereas Mark's sitting on the couch and he's working away as happy that, as that's a That's still time for another oxy stretch, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's still time for another... Yeah, There's well, one more monster to go at seventy. Yeah, but then we know, don't we, that you know the caffeine is a serious impact on that as well. You know, but this is this is the difference that you know you can be on opposite schedules to your partner, which makes it extremely difficult. But you can line up. But this is why you feel so awful because you are suffering from what they call social jet lag. And I've actually written a blog, I did a podcast on it actually myself on social jet lag around that. So if people want to go and have a look at my podcast, there's one there on why this happens. Can you catch up on sleep on the weekend by sleeping in? No, you can't. What you actually do if you stay in bed and sleep, what you actually do is you create a bigger deficit, which causes a bigger problem because your circadian rhythm starts to adjust to that. An example, a nine to fiver gets up every every week, Monday to Friday, 7 a.m., goes to bed at 9 p.m. every every. Monday to Friday. They get to the weekend and they think, oh, all I want to do is have a sleep in. Think back to your teenage years, Mark, when you used to sleep until midday, Saturday, midday, Sunday, you know, and then you just wouldn't, couldn't be bothered. What? You, and then Monday morning, you could not get up for the love of money to go to school. You say, no, I'm not going. I just cannot do it. What you've actually done by sleeping in on Saturday and Sunday is you've created yourself a bigger problem. So you're better off getting up at the same time within an hour every single day. So if you get up within an hour every day and go to bed within an hour every day, then you find that you actually are in line with your circadian rhythm, even on the weekends. So for shift workers... That never happens because some days you're on afternoon, some days you're on day shift. So what's the best way to go about, uh, for a shift worker to go about doing that is to have a solid sleep hygiene and have a really good practice around that. So in terms of sleep hygiene, going from, for example, if I'm training a general population client and they have a nine to five job and they've been going to bed a bit late, I can simply you know, give them instructions. And even in the Gen Pop Transformations guidebook, there was um, all about, you know, a bedtime routine and how to switch off and get off your phone, you know, trying to go to bed at the same time, you know, used to say do breathing techniques, meditate, um, something or read a book to try to calm yourself down before bed and try to get in a routine. And that's quite easy to get across to someone who's a general population client who has often a very fixed schedule that for me is often the first thing I attack. And that's why I put in the general population and it's in our challenge and stuff like that. But that's where, again, as we've kind of discussed, that is not as easy when someone's sleep schedule is changing dramatically each day. No, it's not, but it is. So you say it's not, but it is like, you can't go to bed at the same time, but Mark, you can still run the same routine every day, which triggers your body into that, oh, we're going to sleep. So for argument's sake, uh, a female. Now, a female can, you know, they go, they've got to wash their face, take their face off. You know, they go through this whole routine. Like, what do we do? We just, you know, strip off, jump into bed, job's done, you know, easy. Whereas yeah, fem- <laughs> I'd have to comb my hair. A bit yeah, comb know. your hair. That's right. Whereas, you know, females literally brush the hair, take the face off, put the night creams on. And what you don't realise is that routine is actually triggering your body that it's getting ready for sleep by the smells of those creams, you know, the um, the routine going into the bathroom and that light and that um, taking that face off, brushing the hair, putting the night creams on. All putting those that actions face. are just yeah, repeat, the, repeat of what exactly. you know, uh, yep. associate with bedtime. Correct. So whether you're going to bed early or whether you're going to bed late or whether you're going to bed first thing in the morning, that routine can help you to actually get yourself off to sleep by the smells and the repetition, you know, and things like that. So that helps. And what would, I guess, to kind of wrap up sleep for shift workers, what would kind of be, I guess, two, three key kind of takeaways someone listening to this could, could go apply to themselves? Yep. Right. Three key takeaways in relation to sleep. 
Number one, you've got to get away from that blue light. It's People don't realise that the blue light that goes into your eye from your mobile phone, your TV, or all of that, is literally suppressing the melatonin and stopping you from sleeping. So even though you might go to sleep due to sleep pressure, you will wake up and not sleep properly. So you've got to get rid of that blue light. On, on that topic, Roger, um, yep. how much does... You know, the new iPhones these days have the change of mm-hmm. color yep. screen. How much does yep. that, is that still? It still helps. Negative? Yeah, it still it, helps. It does, it does the more the red light. How So that is something you would tell your clients to have make yep. sure they have set on. Yep. I actually have people stage down their phone, um, particularly like the on the Android devices. You can actually, to start off with, you can have your phone go to like do not disturb, and then you can have it go to um, um, change it to black and white. Um, and and then turn off. So um, it it stages down. And once again, Mark, this is your routine and this is triggering your brain that you're going... um you're going to do not disturb. So all those calls don't come in. Um, and then it goes to black and white. Have you got any idea how boring social media is when it's black and white? Like, it is boring. And no one gets on their phone when their phone's gone black and white. Um, and then it, it, you can have a time off and it goes off and that's it. So you go to bed and read a book. Now, you read before you go to bed. And that's the best possible thing that you can do because you're not getting... And you read physical books. But people that lie there on their phones reading, it's, it's killer. Even though that's why I've never been a huge fan of Kindles. Yes, either. that's like, right. You know, like people love Kindles. My dad, my yep. dad loves his Kindle, but yep. it's just I've always liked physical books. But also the whole the whole light. It's just I know it's just it's never sent to me. Kind of relax. No, and we've got to remember it's light going into your eye from no matter what. The Kindle's not bad, but the phone and people lying in bed watching TV and things like that, it's just killer because that blue light is going into your eye. And if you understand the sleep with that melatonin and that sleep pressure building up, that light hitting your eye is always keeping you in the wake cycle. It's going to keep you into the wake cycle. And you might go to sleep, but the hormones, the sleep hormones, it washes out that sleep pressure and then you wake up. That's the problem. So um, blue light is the killer. Breathing, I think, is the most important, is focusing on just breathing through your nose and breathing like six seconds in, holding, six seconds out, holding, six seconds in, holding, um, and doing that. Breathing through your nose, which puts you How long you in, would you do that for? I would do that for – generally, you'll find that you'll only do that for about 10 rounds and you'll be gone. Um, it, if you breathe down, put your hand on your stomach and you breathe through your nose down into your stomach, you'll actually feel it, it calming you right down, slowing your heart rate right down, putting you to sleep. Um, and obviously the most important mark is stand at the doorway to your bedroom and look in your bedroom and go, is that somewhere where I would want to sleep? Like, is it dark? Is it cozy? Does it look comfortable? Has someone moved all those pillows off the bed? Like, are we in a position where we can sleep? You know, is it look good? Is it, have we got blackouts? Do we, you know, for shift workers, do we have a night mask? Do we have earplugs? Do we have all of those sort of things? So that's the sleep side of things. Yeah, on the last point there, I remember Charles Poliquin yep. was huge on his sleep, one of the, my yeah. mentors, and he used to say the importance of just making the room as dark as you could at night, especially if you're a shift worker. If you're sleeping in a room which has, you know, really light blinds, it's just going to impact things massively. So I'm just – if you ever – I don't know if you ever go to a hotel or whatever and the blinds are just really heavy duty and dark. You just yep. have the best sleep. You don't find you. yourself sleeping an extra hour or two. Yep. I think that makes a huge difference. It makes a massive difference. That's why I push the sleep mask for people. Um, the Manta make a fantastic sleep mask. For all those girls that have got those eyelashes that are stuck on, um, you can wear this Manta eye mask over your eyes and you can open your eyes underneath and it's pitch black even though you can you can basically leave your curtains open but i highly recommend an eye mask because mark if you're sleeping outside of your circadian rhythm which is your biological day and night if you actually do wake what's the first thing you do open your eyes look around if there's light your body's going we're awake, so there's no more sleep pressure. Oh, there's light, so we must be meant to be awake, and that's why you can't go back to sleep, and it will never catch up, and that's why people struggle so much. Wear the eye mask so that even if you open your eyes, you think, oh, my eyes are open, can't see anything. Oh, hang on, that's right, I've got the eye mask on. It's dark. If you lay there, you will go back to sleep because your body will not recognise the, the other um, 
stimulator that it will wake up from, which is light. Perfect. So I think we've covered sleep yep. pretty well for all the yep. people jumping on to listen um, about, I think, whether, whether or not you're a shift worker or you're an athlete or your general population client, sleep is such an integral part. So that's why I think I really want to dive deep into sleep because to me it's quite a simple thing, but simple is good. Simple, that's something that's simple but gives you a massive bang for your buck, I yep. think is always just something you attack. So Roger has a five pillars of health for shift workers. So we've just covered sleep. Yep. We'll try to run through the other four a little bit quicker. Yep. We'll but run. let's touch on nutrition. Yep. Now, nutrition, Mark, it's important for females, and you've got a lot of females that follow you as well. Females suffer from shift work a lot more than males do because they have a severely compromised um, digestive tract. Women, as you know, are not small men, right? So um, it's very important that women understand that they are completely different. Not only do they deal with hormonal imbalances, but their digestive tract is actually compromised in itself. If you think about it, they actually have a, a stomach that has less acid in it and it also empties slower than a male's stomach as well. Their digestive tract is longer than a male's. Their colon is longer than a male colon and it's also, it empties slower as well. Now, if you look at where the female reproductive organs are as well, they're internal. So we have a uterus and ovaries that have got a colon that is low in the abdomen. So if you think about it, you can have a colon that is longer, that empties slower, that is in the same area as where the uterus and the ovaries are. And we all know that in the luteal phase of your menstrual cycle, your, your ovaries and uterus can generally be fairly agitated or, or, you know, upset. So to have a colon that's agitated and upset in the same area causes females all sorts of problems. Nutrition for females around night shift is integral. It's so important. And I'll touch on one of the other pillars at the same time here, Mark, and that's the hydration. By drinking a lot more water, shift workers need to drink a lot more water than the gen pop um, people do. Um, and females, it's in their best interest to drink a lot more water as well. Now, you give hydration targets for clients or just... Yeah, just clear urine, thirsty? Mark. I just go with the clear urine. I don't worry about two litres or eight cups or anything like that. I just want clear urine at all times, other than, you know, if you're doing supplementation. But um, I want them with clear urine. So when the, when you go to the bathroom, have a look at your urine. Straw-coloured or, or clear is what we're looking for. And that shows that you're pros- probably... Uh, or you're properly hydrated and with the nutrition overnight females get a lot of benefit out of fasting from midnight to 6am now the reason why we do this is because once again the female system is compromised and because majority of shift workers also are very sedentary overnight so what we do is we don't put any food into the system and we give the system an opportunity to actually clear out and with the water going through the system as well because one of the biggest mistakes that shift workers make uh, mark is um, highly palatable carbohydrates and fats overnight and that's the absolute worst thing that you can possibly have so fasting by having a main meal between 10 30 and 11 30 at night on a night shift having a protein carbon fat good meal and then fasting from midnight through until 6am cutting the caffeine out from about 1am and then going through until 6am and having a light carbohydrate and protein meal before they go to bed will help with sleep now this this fast the results that I get from my clients through this fast is a game changer for a lot of people and we need to put our nutrition in during the biological day. Majority of our nutrition needs to go in during the biological day and earlier the better. So majority of your calories through the earlier part of the day and then lighten it up towards the end and then fasting from midnight to 6am. So let me ask you some questions around this then for those listening. If you're someone who is working a night shift and let's say they finish their shift at 6am. Yep. And they come home. Yep. From that twelve to six, you would tell them, "Don't have a meal. Even you have a lunch break. Try to have. If you, let's say their lunch break. Yep. Yeah. Um, yep. Was two 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 a.m. and they finished at six. You would tr- try to tell them not to eat at two a.m. Eat before. Yep. And then when they get home, 
if they get home from that shift, it's, you know, 6.30, 7 a.m., yep. you, you then you're happy for them to have a meal. And what would you kind of suggest in that meal then? Uh, I, I generally go with the proats. I generally go with the um, a little bit of carbohydrate, a little bit of protein. So um, I think what I tend to suggest for clients is to have something along the lines of um, some oats, oatmeal, um, with some water, and then put a scoop of protein powder in that. The protein powder keeps you asleep. It, it keeps you satiated. Obviously, we've got to prevent the muscle protein. We've got to must present the prevent the muscle protein breakdown while we sleep, and also it keeps us full. And the carbohydrate actually triggers processes to help us sleep. Think what it's like after you've had a big Christmas meal or a Christmas lunch, or the family's got together and you have a big meal. All you want to do is get on the couch. If you time that well you'll actually sleep better and you sleep really well. And people don't have to worry about putting body fat on by having – It's. I'm not talking about a massive amount of carbohydrate. I'm talking, you know, 30 to 40 grams of oats with a scoop of protein powder is absolutely ideal to come home on and sleep on. Now, in relation to the fast two, Mark, just quickly – if you were a muscle building client, obviously it's less than optimal to go six hours without having any um, food, particularly protein. So what I suggest to muscle building clients is to have yourself a couple of YoPro yogurts around 3, 4 a.m. before you hit those 5 a.m., oh my God, I'm going to eat everything inside. So around about 3 or 4 a.m., have a YoPro because you can get a few of those with 30 grams of protein into your system. Put a few berries in with that. Don't fast at the don't, people. I don't want people to fast at the um, to sacrifice overeating when they get home, so they don't sleep properly. So, a bit of protein around that time in the middle of the night is absolutely ideal. With so something I often get a lot is obviously when setting calories, we're talking about you know energy balance over the course of the day. Yep. Now. If you've got a person who's doing one day, you know, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. work, and yep. then the next day they're doing a 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. Yep. work. That's common. With timing their calories and their calories for the day, do you still work in that kind of 24-hour window or do you base it around, does that kind of make sense? The, yes. The yep. time of yep. the day, are they going from 12 to 12 or are they going another day where they might wake up um, at 1 p.m.? And then they, they, which way are you kind of looking at the calories, if I'm, that makes sense, for yep. more advanced people? I'm still looking at the biological day for putting the food in and the calories in. The reason being is because majority of people, those people that you're talking about, that a lot of people like, a lot of agencies do two day shifts, two night shifts, and then four days off. If you yep. think about it, you are literally only out of sync with your circadian rhythm two days out of those eight right? Because everything else, you've got the opportunity to go to bed early, get up early for the other the other six days. So I work with people putting their three meals in at the normal three times to keep in sync with their circadian rhythm. So when you do the day shift, you would do your normal three meals, then you would go into the night shift, but I would still get up early on the day that you're starting the night shift, still have that breakfast, still have that lunch, still have that meal, but have a, a dinner, but have a nap before you go in. Just even 20 minutes to half an hour, I recommend. 20 minutes to half an hour and then um, go to work because that just washes the adenosine out, gives you the chance to get the caffeine in and away you go so that you can actually um, function overnight. That nap is a game changer for a lot of people, 20 to 30 minutes. Now, then fasting overnight, because your system is already conditioned to fasting overnight anyway. Even though you're awake, we do not flip our meals. Really bad to flip our meals. So we still want to put our food in during the biological daytime or the biological um, and not through the biological night. Awesome. I like that. Makes makes sense. And yeah. Easy, practical to go forward. So I think then Roger really just nailed nutrition. Yep. And hydration. My, yeah, the hydration's important. Hydration. My, I think for me, my key takeaways are really just look at the biological clock. Try to stick to that. Agreed. Um, regardless of the day you're in, when your days are changing. And I really liked just the whole um, fasting window, regardless of even the night shift. Yep. I think that's even for myself, something um, very practical I can use right away with clients. So awesome we're there. So now we've covered sleep, we've covered nutrition and 
went over hydration. So our fourth pillar is going to be movement. So do you want to kind of chat about movement? Very quickly. Obviously, people familiar with my stuff, my training, nutrition, stuff like that. So I guess my thing would be for the audience, how does this kind of differ for shift workers? Mm. One of the biggest – now, everybody knows your methods and people that have heard you on my podcast, and if they haven't, that goes into a lot more detail around this. But I think – the sim- to simplify this right down, Mark, I think um, people put too much pressure on themselves as to how much they actually have to do to get a result. You know, they put too much pressure on. They don't need to. Three resistance training sessions is more than enough in a week. And if you're going to do a couple of nights of night shift, um, then you don't train on those two nights. The last thing you do is on your way home from night shift is try and do a hit session or go and do a heavy resistance training session. That's suicide. Your priority needs to be to get home, go to bed, get some sleep. Sleep must be, sleep's going to be far more beneficial for you for your growth than anything else is. So I suggest when you're in a stage where you can't um, do resistance training or your hit class or whatever, as a shift worker, Guys, your body is already horrendously stressed by being out of sync with its circadian rhythm. So what I need you to do is just walk. Get up and just walk. It walks the stress out of your system. Research shows that by being vertical, a lot of shift workers are highly stressed just purely by their role. So being vertical and in forward motion in a walk, it's really good to clear your head, gets the blood pumping, gets you moving, and that's a really, really easy bang-for-buck exercise for people to do. You don't have to do an hour. You don't have to go for an hour and a half. You can literally just take yourself for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and then go for another 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And if you've got a dog, it's ideal to take the dog for a walk a couple of times. And the other exercise, Mark, that I really cashed in on, and I took this out of the gen pop, and we discussed that at length, was the LIS. And with the LIS training, we talked about that in my podcast as well, but with the LIS training... This training is low intensity, steady state, and it's 65% of your maximum heart rate. So grab your pen and people can work this out. It's 220 minus your age, and that equals, and then multiply that by 0.065. Now, once again, that's in the show notes for my podcast um, that had Mark on it. So if people want to go and have a look at that, that breakdown is in it. So get on a treadmill and actually get yourself into that heart rate zone, and it just burns all the rubbish out of your system. It takes all the stress out of your system. It is just the absolute best exercise for a shift worker to do. So while your body's stressed, walking or this is the best possible exercises to do. And then once you come out of the night shift, that's the time for you to go and smash your resistance training and get the best bang for buck out of that. So with then resistance training, if someone comes off night shift yep. and it's four or 5 a.m., yep. your recommendation then is not to do their weights, their resistance training. Then. That's right. Because they're insulin resistant. They are insulin resistant at that time anyway, purely by our biological clock. So I would suggest that people go straight home, go straight to bed, get that sleep and then get up. And if they feel like it, then go and do their resistance training session when they're going to be, it's like getting up, out of bed in the morning and going and doing your gym routine in the morning because with your body being stressed and insulin resistant, you're not going to actually be able to, you're not going to cash in on those adaptations from training. Your body's inflamed, cortisol's high, everything. You know, think about it, your cortisol's released around about 5, 6 a.m. in the morning. So to be training on top of that, it's an added stress into your system as well. I'm sure it's going to impact sleep that one bit further again. Of course, it stimulates your central nervous system as well. So when you get home and you can't sleep because you've stimulated everything, you've put yourself in a sympathetic state by, you know, um, by your training, which is what you want, and then you've stimulated your central nervous system, and then you can't go into wind-down mode to go to sleep. So yeah. with, I guess, the last thing on training, again, yep. to ask you another question around that, when, let's say you're – from a shift worker, not an extreme overnight shift worker, but someone finishing work at 10 p.m. Yep. Where's the kind of cutoff you would say for training late at night? Yeah, if some um, yeah. 
I think if someone wanted to, but you've got to remember too about the food timing around that as well. So we've got to be a little bit careful of that too, don't we? Because if you, you finish work at 10 o'clock and then you wanted to go and train, um, you, you finish your training session at 11, 30, 12 o'clock, the last thing you want to be doing is putting a big protein, carbon, fat meal into your system after that. Um, or, you know, if... if it's less than optimal. You wouldn't want to be doing that. But, you know, you could still go and do a light resistance training. Remember, you're still outside of your biological clock, so your body is still stressed around that time. But, you know, remember too, Mark, you know, we're talking, some people will turn around and say to us, oh, yeah, but I can train and do that and I'm happy. Knock yourself out. Go and do it. But what I'm doing is I'm just explaining to you what the general people shouldn't actually do that and push themselves because they do feel goddamn awful doing it. I, th- I, th- I think with that, though, people also just kind of get used to that. So they just yep. associate, well, this is my routine. So yep. they get comfort in that routine, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be optimal no. um, for them. And maybe if they got away from that, their results could be even better. That's right. But again, people, <laughs> the hard thing with training and stuff, though, obviously if people find something that they're doing, they're feeling good on it, then, you, you don't always want to take away, you know, they might find something. But again, if things are, from my point of view, if things are strength plateauing or yeah. they're struggling to yeah. losing weight or adhering to their diet and session quality is dropping, then then you'd probably want to address it. But, yeah, so I think with movement, as, as Roger discussed, we went much deeper on Roger's podcast around training. Yeah. So I'll kind of leave that, um, I agree. that to Roger's. Um, podcast and we'll link that after for you guys to jump in around training but let's look at the fifth and final variable because yep. i think we've really got some valuable information myself included on sleep nutrition hydration and then definitely movement is the last the fifth and final variable to roger's um five pillars is going to be stress so stress these days something i found roger is since being in the industry geez 15 years now, 15, mm-hmm. 15 years. Stress wasn't something that really kind of got spoken about a lot when I started. And it's it kind of built up for me. I, I kind of built up in about seven, eight years ago, hearing a lot more about stress. It kind of went from not hearing anything about it to then people just talking, talking so much education all around it. And then my personal thing was people almost – in a way kind of made people scared to even train because they made it seem like if you were stressed out, you couldn't go to the gym and you, you'd just be this catabolic catabolic thing where if you had the most mild bit of stress, you should train, um, stay home, not train and stuff like that. Whereas obviously, you know, anyone who's who gets anywhere in life, you're going to encounter a bit of stress. So I think for me, it's kind of not trying to say, hey, never be stressed. Like, you know, so you know, adaptations come off the back end of stress. So I think it's kind of, the best way I, I kind of like to say it's 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 not trying to um, avoid prevent total stress. It's it's not going to happen. But it's just stress management. I think what you've said there is it's spot on because there's good stress as well, isn't there? Like we need when we resistance train, we need that stress on our body to actually teach our body that you know we need to get better at it to adapt to what we're actually doing uh, to respond to the stimuli that we're actually giving it so what we want to do is we want to stress our body so when we go to the gym we can't say oh we've got to avoid stress because we want to stress our body that's the most important thing so we do that first then what we do is we've got to then come out of that stress so it, we've got a sympathetic state which we put ourselves in when we go into the gym. We do cardio, we go for a run, we, we do our resistance training, we do our, our hit class, and we're stressed. And that's good stress. That's what we want. We want that stress. But what we do have to do, very important, is get ourselves out of that stress state as quickly as possible because it's not a good place to live. It's good for training, but it's not a good place for us to live in, as I found out myself. But anyway... Um, There's two sides of our um, uh, autonomous nervous system. There's the um, sympathetic state and the parasympathetic state. And generally, the best way to tell which one you're in, if you're in the sympathetic state, you'll be breathing through your mouth. And that that matters whether you're in a working environment, whether you're in a training environment, whether you're in just standing there talking to your missus. If you're breathing through your mouth, you're in a sympathetic state as a general rule. So we... 
it's very important that people go, oh, I need to be careful of that. So everyone at the moment that's sitting there listening to this with their mouths open breathing, yeah, you're in a sympathetic state. Close your mouth, breathe through your nose, slow it right down, and that will put you back into a parasympathetic state fairly quickly. Now, this is what like SAS operators do, um, Mark, you know, the people that are SAS operators and that, before they go into an actual operation to slow their heart rate down, to slow them down, they do this nose breathing, this box breathing. They breathe in for four, hold for four, breathe out for four, but it's all done through the nose and it slows you down. If you ever want to read a great book, read Breathe uh, by James Nestor. It is absolutely phenomenal. But anyway... Um, breathing through the nose. And that's why I suggest that when people go for their sleep hygiene, their sleep routine, get into bed, lie on your back, put your hand on your stomach, breathe down into your hand through your nose and breathe back out again, breathe down into your hand through your nose, breathe out. But all through the nose keeps us in a parasympathetic state. Watch your colleagues, watch people around you. It's okay to breathe through your mouth when you're having a run. It's okay when you're resistance training to be breathing through your mouth. You're in a sympathetic state. But to get yourself back into a parasympathetic, breathe through that nose and that will calm you. And it's important because stress severely impacts on our um, on our results. And we can get better results by managing our stress and our sleep in particular. And I think, you know, we spoke about our first point being sleep. I think sleep and stress also work in yep. hand in hand, you know. So totally. if, if your sleep's on is improving it's going to help with your um, handling stressful situations and if you're um, managing your stress it's going to also then help um, create a, a deeper sleep so that's why I, obviously you read that in the gen pop you know we touched on that in yep. the gen pop, yep. pop transformation guidebook and it's just something again if you can learn to get these both these things in a kind of a good place it's going to really work to um, lift each other up. And so that's where you can kind of do one positive, but that one positive has another carryover to another positive and it kind of has that compounding effect. Yeah. If people are not sleeping properly, it will generally be because of stress. If you get your stress under control, you will actually find that your sleep will improve. And I'm going to use a a corner phrase here that um, a, a man that's an, a sleep expert uses, we don't actually have a sleep problem. What we have is a social priorities problem, right? And that's the biggest problem. If you create the environment, your body will sleep. So if you manage your stress, because it's proven that stress impacts massively on our sleep. If you manage your stress and get your stress under control, yoga, meditation, quiet reading, get rid of the blue light, Social media stress, what you watch on TV, all of those sort of things, they stress us out and then we don't sleep properly. Sleep, if you can get your stress under control, you get your sleep under control in a really big way. Awesome. So there, I guess you guys have it, Roger's five pillars of health for shift workers, sleep, nutrition, hydration, movement, stress. So all these things are... I'd say you should be actually obviously addressing anyways, whether you're a shift worker or just anybody trying to be on top of their health and fitness. But I think Roger did an awesome job of kind of breaking down how um, just that change in um, being awake can really impact things and why you need to look at these little variables that can make a, a really big difference because as Roger said, there really is so many people in the world these days who are shift workers, which is because he has some crazy stats but I think, I think Roger could correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of people also think then they can't achieve results. They oh. can't lose weight if they're shift workers. They kind of come to you with a bit of a defeated, defeated mindset that, well, it's just my job. It's the work structure. It's just not possible to kind of get in the gym. So the way I kind of look at it is just, you know, addressing what you can do and start small and build upon that. And, and something we spoke on in your, in the podcast I did on Roger's channel was that, you know, the power of just kind of focusing on what you can do and, you know, if training can get two, three sessions in, that's better than zero sessions in. But the things that, you know, the big rocks, the bang for buck, things like sleep, stress management, like do those well. And then I think it really has that compounding effect to allow you to then do the other things well. Um, So Roger, thank you so much for coming on. What I want you to do is go um, tell the audience, um, I guess where they can find you. You've got a podcast, 
got coaching, I'm your Instagram, if you want to do your thing, where can everyone go find you? Thank you, Mark. That was awesome. Um, I have uh, blogs on my website. You can find my website is ahealthyshift.com. So you can go there. Everything is all completely linked off there, obviously. Um, I've got my coaching page there. People can see what they get for their coaching with me. You need me, if you're a shift worker, you need me as a coach. I've, I've worked under Mark with the Gen Pop and also with the uh, reverse dieting. I totally understand. I, I subscribe to Mark's method of um, of uh, the reverse diet and how he goes about doing the reverse diet as against some other methods. The Gen Pop is ideal. I can help you with nutrition around that. And in fact, I've had a couple of clients... I don't know whether Mark knows this, but I've had a couple of clients that have been doing the challenges that I've been coaching with their personalized nutrition in the background because in the challenges, the nutrition is very, like, it's generic because it's not personalized, but I can customize and personalize that for you to work it around you with contact with me around your shift work every week. Now, with my coaching, you have access to me every week. I give you a half-hour Zoom every week where we attack your roadblocks and work around your roadblocks. This is very personalized one-to-one coaching. This is, I'm a shift worker. I've done it for nearly four decades. I get it. I've got a certification in nutrition, evidence-based, and I can help you with evidence-based nutrition, supplementation, help you with strategies around your shift work to get you to get the results that you are looking for. And I can help you with that because I get it totally. Now you can find me on Instagram as well at a underscore healthy underscore shift. Um, everything's linked off my bio there as well. And I have, and I will have more content on there coming, but I've got plenty of strategies and content around there with just some little shift work uh, tips and hints as well. But I will also coach Gen Pop clients as well, people who, or performance athletes, I'll coach anybody. I'm certificated to uh, look after any of those. And in fact, if anyone is a performance athlete and they're looking for help, I'm actually looking for a couple of performance athletes because I, I find it quite challenging and I really enjoy doing it. I'm coaching two AFL footballers at the moment that I'm really enjoying coaching um, with um, evidence-based strategies and we're getting fantastic results with performance nutrition in a carb load before the match and during the matches as well. And we're getting great results. It's been that 1%, 2% makes all the difference. Awesome. Um, and you mentioned your podcast, right, Roger? Sorry, I forgot to mention the podcast. Oh. How could I forget the podcast? Um, yeah, my podcast is um, A Healthy Shift. Um, and I release every Monday and Friday at 6 a.m., um, and every second Friday, I release a interview podcast as well with someone. Mark's appeared on my podcast as well. I was very grateful to have Mark. And where, as we spoke about nutrition and my five pillars here today, Mark focuses on what you can actually do as a shift worker to get results for resistance training. And it was a great episode. I highly recommend people go and have a listen to that. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you for listening. And I hope you really got a lot of value from it because I, I did myself. So I'm sure thousands of you will really enjoy this episode and make sure you go follow Roger and yeah, go have, have a listen to his podcast that I did with him um, on a, around training on this topic, I think will be really valuable. But Roger, it's a pleasure, buddy. Thank you so much for coming on. And it's awesome to continue to see you just grow and go from strength, strength to strength, buddy. It's all thanks to you, Mark. You started something. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Rod.